Our first Bible reading comes from uh, the Gospel of Luke. Luke chapter 15, verses 11 through to the first part of verse 20. Jesus continued, There was a man who had two sons. The younger one said to his father, Father, give me my share of the estate. So he divided his property between them. Not long after that, the younger son got together all he had, set off for a distant country, and there squandered his wealth in wild living. After he had spent everything, there was a severe famine in that whole country, and he began to be in need. So he went and hired himself out to a citizen of that country, who sent him to, fit to his fields to feed pigs. He longed to fill his stomach with the pods that the pigs were eating, but no one gave him anything. When he came to his senses, he said, How many of my father's hired men have food to spare, and here I am starving to death. I will set out and go back to my father and say to him, Father, I have sinned against heaven and against you. I am no longer worthy to be called your son. Make me like one of your hired men. So he got up and went to his father. If you could turn with me again to the Gospel of Luke and chapter 15. I'm going to be continuing on our reading from before. So, so that's Luke chapter 15 and I'm going to be reading on from the second half of verse 20 on through to verse 24. Let's hear from God's word. But while he was still a long way off, his father saw him and was filled with compassion for him. He ran to his son, threw his arms around him and kissed him. The son said to him, Father, I've sinned against heaven and against you. I'm no longer worthy to be called your son. But the father said to his servants, Quick, bring the best robe and put it on him. Put a ring on his finger and sandals on his feet. Bring the fattened calf and kill it. Let's have a feast and celebrate. For this son of mine was dead and is alive again. He was lost and is found. So they began to celebrate. My friends, if you could turn with me now to Matthew chapter 6, and you'll find that on page 960 in your blue Bibles, or 902 in your brown. So that's Matthew chapter 6. I'm going to be reading just one verse, and that's verse 9. This then is how you should pray. Our Father in heaven, hallowed be your name. Friends, as we take a closer look at God's word, let's pray. Our Heavenly Father, we thank you again that we can meet together and we thank you for your wonderful word. And Lord, we thank you that we can pray to you and you hear us. Please speak to us now through your wonderful word so we might know you better. We pray this in Jesus' precious name. Amen. During the week I was reflecting on Jesus' words concerning prayer. And as I did, my mind flooded back to my early experience of church, which was quite the culture shock because 19-year-old Pete Williamson hadn't graced the door of a house of worship since he went to Sunday school as a little kid. 
but with my newly converted dad on my hammer encouraging me week in and week out to give it another go, I finally relented and joined my parents at the local Anglican church. And as I nervously sat there in these strange surroundings, I noticed there were two books under the pew in front of me, the Bible and this other one called the Australian Prayer Book. And if you've never been to a traditional Anglican service, basically the first half involves opening the prayer book and the second half the Bible. Now friends, the last thing that I want to do this morning is give that little Anglican church a bad rap as this congregation wound up being a huge blessing to me. Uh, This was the church that I was saved in and then discipled in my early years. But be that as it may, as I started going along every Sunday, in all honesty, I couldn't wait for the prayer book part of the service to be over so we could get down to the Bible passage and the sermon. So what was so bad about the prayer book? Well, on the surface, nothing at all. The minister would tell us to go to a certain page and he would begin, lift up your hearts, and we would read out the response, which was we lift them to the Lord. Back to him, let us give thanks to the Lord our God. Us, it is right to give him thanks and praise. It is indeed right, he would say. And so we would continue back and forth finishing with him uh, reading and us reading aloud a prayer of praise together. Holy, holy, holy Lord, God of power and might, heaven and earth are full of your glory. Hosanna in the highest. Now, friends, as you can see, there is nothing wrong with any of that. Indeed, you may think, what a, what a great way to begin, to gl- declaring as one body our thanks and praise finishing off by pronouncing that heaven and earth is full of God's glory. But as we began like this, Sunday morning after Sunday morning, I soon became convinced that when the angels brought their praise to God, when they as one declared that God was holy, 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 well, I soon became convinced their voices sounded nothing like ours. Because our offering was given in this drab, monotone-type way. These words had become something that we all just reeled off by rote. And even as a brand-new church-going believer, I knew there was something not quite right with that. And so when it came to me going into ministry, I joined the true church and became a prezi. But friends, all jokes aside... If you were here last week, the irony of a church, any church, unwittingly turning prayer into a public chant, well, that would not be lost on you. As Jesus, before he gets down to the how-to of prayer, first tells us what we must avoid. And his warnings, as we basically saw, involved avoiding speaking with our lips, but not with our heart. Because no one likes a fake and no one more than God. And so Jesus addresses the temptation to fakery in prayer by encouraging us to prioritise one-on-one. Praying in groups, small and large, is important and necessary. 
But nobody does a stage act when they're alone. And so verse 6, but when you pray, go into your room, close the door and pray to your father who is unseen. Then your father who sees what is done in secret will reward you. So that's the first way we get real, get authentic before God in prayer. And the second way is when we do come to him, don't speak, says Jesus, in a special prayer language believing somehow that you'll gain a hearing through your specially chosen words. Don't go there, says Jesus, because verse 8, God already knows what you need before you even ask. Why is this assurance such a great encouragement in our prayer life? Well, friends, because it's a promise of access intimate access between you and God. Getting your words right has zero to do with God hearing and understanding the yearnings of your heart. Nevertheless, he still wants to hear it from you. And the reason, because it's in the speaking where connection, where relationship happens As I said last week, we may also know what our child needs at any given moment, but it's in them sharing what's on their heart that their heart connects with ours. And so having done this very important groundwork on how to get real, how to get honest with God, Jesus is now ready to share how that looks in prayer. And friends, as we go through these precious words over the coming weeks, there's one more thing that needs to be said before we begin. And that is, while it's not a bad thing to pray the Lord's Prayer word for word, that was not Jesus' main intention in sharing it with us. For what a contradiction that would be. Do not pray thinking carefully selected words gains you access, verse 8. Now use these carefully selected words, verse 9. Now again, don't hear me saying you can't pray the Lord's Prayer word for word. I do myself. We simply need to be wary of Jesus' words in verses 5 to 8, lest we turn it into a meaningless chant. So with that said, let's look at how Jesus shows us how to truly and genuinely draw near to God. Second half of verse 9. Our Father in heaven, hallowed be your name. Now friends, you may be wondering how the opening to this prayer and only this opening is going to take up the rest of our time together this morning. I mean, how much can be said about just eight words? Friends, here's the thing. When you slow down, when you slow down and engage with what you're actually saying, praying, you soon discover what can be said about this opening can and indeed has filled entire books. Now, don't worry, I'm not going to give you a tome here but God willing enough to help us own these words, own them heart and soul, 
as we pray them, as we come to God in prayer. And with that in mind, look again at how Jesus tells us to begin. Our Father. Now as we hear this instruction on how we start, think for a moment just how many options, good and right options, Jesus could have possibly gone with here. Most Holy Lord, Gracious, mighty one, powerful ruler of all. Why not something along those lines? After all, it is his holy majesty that we are approaching, isn't it? Shouldn't we not consider this as a matter of priority? We do so with earthly rulers, don't we? How much more appropriate for the ruler of all? Indeed, friends, this is the approach of all other religions. For example, in the Muslim world, there are 99 grand descriptions of Allah, creator, king, almighty, all-seer, just to name a few. And a selection of these must be used in their approach. In the Hindu world, before you even begin speaking, you must first get your body positioned just right often in painful contortions, if you really want one of the gods to turn their shiny face towards your puny little grubby one and give you a hearing. Now friends, go through all the different religions of the world and the approach, although expressed in a myriad of different ways, is essentially the same. To get a hearing from the great and mighty other his great and mighty otherness must be first expressed. So what a shock it must be for them to hear us begin with Father, dear Father, our Father. Do you not believe he is great and holy and mighty? Yes, more than you even know. But we begin our heavenly approach this way because the one who came from heaven encouraged and reminded us, Father is first and foremost who God is to us. The only reason we can talk to him and be confident he actually hears us is because He is our Father. Now, friends, in saying that, I'm sure there are some here this morning in this room who don't feel particularly encouraged or good about that. Because the word Father for some of us doesn't bring feelings of intimacy, love and closeness, but the very opposite, absence, disconnection. Or worse. And so God is Father, thanks, but no thanks. But friends, if we are negatively triggered in this way, those bad vibes, although real, cannot be traced back to the fatherhood of God. Bad earthly fathers are not a chip of the original block. For in the beginning he created everything good and every good thing was then put in place so that God could then move to the climax of his creation. 
us. Man and woman were uniquely formed in his image and likeness to be in relationship with him and rule the earth as his representatives. Now friends, contrary to what science tells us, we are not sophisticated monkeys. We're not. No, we are sons and daughters of the living God. See, he specially and intentionally formed us. And then Genesis 2 verse 7 breathed his own spirit into us. Human beings are God's children. And although his first two children rebelled, our father didn't give up on us. us, And so we have the Bible. Which is God's story? His story on how he, as our father, has determined to bring us back again to himself. And that's why our reading this morning was the prodigal son. As it captures this entire family story in a nutshell, doesn't it? A father is abandoned by his son. The son finally realises life away from his dad is not that it's all cracked up to be. And so in sorrow and heartfelt repentance, he returns. And what a reception the father gives him, received back with joy, forgiveness and love. And friends, Jesus who relates this parable to us is front row centre of that reconciliation story, isn't he? For he is the perfect son who enters our world to deal with everything that could block our return. It pays the penalty. Pays it in full so he can be received back guilt-free. No sin blockage. Clean slate. Listen to how a prodigal called Paul, who had one of the dirtiest rap sheets of all, assures us of our full acceptance by the Father through Christ. You have received the spirit of sonship and by him we cry, Abba, Father. That is Father, my dear Father. The Spirit himself testifies with our spirit that we are the children of God. Now friends, hopefully you're seeing now with fresh eyes that this intimate relational approach Jesus encourages us to begin with here is something that shouldn't just roll off our tongue, but is to be deeply, deeply cherished. This is a whole new way of praying, unique in the entire world. Those first two wonderful words reminding and assuring us Not only will we be heard, but one day we will be with our Father again and be able to speak with him face to face. But that's in the future, so back to the first line of this wonderful prayer. And now in full. Our Father in heaven, hallowed be your name. Now, friends, as we hear the second part of that opening, we probably can all remember how when we were just little kids, 
and prayed the Lord's Prayer out loud, while we understood the first bit fairly well, very well, our Father, the second half got a bit hazy, didn't it? For heaven is pretty conceptual for a little child. And what exactly is hallowed anyway? My dad preached on this passage some years back and he said as a kid he thought God's name was hallow. Hallow be your name. Now whether you as a kid got the words right or not, chances are as you spoke them, your connection with them was fairly sketchy, probably flew right over your head. And even though we as adults might know a little better than that, we can still reel the second half off with heart and mind completely disconnected with what we're actually saying, can't we? And so to help us re-engage with these very familiar words, the first question perhaps we should ask is why does Jesus, after calling on us to address God as our Father, then calls on us to acknowledge his address? Our Father who art in heaven. What exactly is the point of stating where God resides? Friends, I think the main point is this. Before we go on to say or request anything from our Father, we should first acknowledge this Father of ours does not reside in the, in the trees and the rocks and the dirt, as some people think. Nor is God some Star Wars type in personal force or a geographical deity, power over this patch of dirt, but no power over this patch of dirt over here. Now our Father is the one who occupies the heavens, separate from us, above us, yes, but active and involved in his creation. So much so he knows what's in our hearts before we even speak it. Verse 8. God of the heavens is he, but from there he sees and rules every square inch of the earth down here. And so as we begin, we acknowledge this Father who we are speaking to is quite the Father. And while many choose to ignore this truth on earth, the beings who occupy the heavens surely don't. This from John who peels back the curtain for us in Revelation chapter 4. Have a listen. There before me was a throne in heaven with someone sitting on it. The one who sat there had the appearance of jasper and carnelian. A rainbow resembling an emerald encircled the throne. From this throne came flashes of lightning, rumbles and peals of thunder. Before the throne there was what looked like a sea of glass, clear as crystal. In the centre around the throne were four living creatures and they were covered with eyes, front and back. Day and night they never stopped saying, Holy, holy, holy is the Lord God Almighty who was and is and is to come. You are worthy, our Lord and God, to receive glory, honour and power. For you created all things and by your will they were created and have their being. Friends, behold the Father in all his majesty. And our personal praise to him, for him, should not simply match the angels here, but actually exceed it. 
For while the angels know about God's glory and love, we are the personal recipients of it. Which is why Jesus calls on us here not to hallow God in a general way, but in a personal way. Look at it again. Hallowed be your name. Hallowed be your name. Because it's not the angels God shared his name with, but us. And so we pray, hallowed be the Father of the highest heaven, whose name he has given us, whose name we know, Yahweh. Blessed be the great I am. What does that mean? Well, Jesus, Yahweh in the flesh, fleshed it out for us, didn't he? I am the bread of life. I am the light of the world. I am the good shepherd. I am the true vine. I am the resurrection and the life. The great I am came in person. And in all Jesus was and all he did, we are personally introduced to God that we might know him and know him for all eternity. And so we pray, our Father in heaven, hallowed be your name. Our friends, so much more could be said, but God willing, enough has been said to help us in our prayer life this week. In fact, now we have a fresh perspective on the greatness, depth and truth of this wonderful opening line. How about reflecting solely on it in one of your prayer times during the week? Not quickly as we normally do, but slowly and intentionally with heart fully engaged, thanking God that we can call on him, the eternal, holy creator of it all, as Father, our Father. Then maybe with Revelation 4 opening our mind's eye, joining in the praise, exalting him for his holiness, power, grace and mercy, And in the centre of that praise, hallowing his great and glorious name, a name that he chose to personally share with no other being but us. And then in the fullness of time, revealing through his son its true, glorious, redemptive and wonderful meaning. Bread, gate, light, shepherd, Resurrection, the way, the truth, and the life. Let's pray. Our Heavenly Father, we thank you that you have revealed yourself to us through your Son. We thank you, Father, that through him, you revealed yourself to us personally and through him you call us home. We thank you, Father, for the privilege of being able to call you our Father.
and reminding us that this is ultimately the truth of our relationship with you. Lord God, if there's anyone here this morning who has turned from you, run from you, help them to know this morning that your arms are open wide to receive them back. And for those of us here who have been received back, help us to never take for granted what that cost. Our Heavenly Father, we thank you so much that we can speak to you in this way, in this relational way. Help us to cherish it, to get real with you in prayer, and Lord, to depth, sorry, deepen our love and relationship with you through this wonderful gift. And we pray this in Jesus' precious name and for his glory. Amen.